open in prayer and just pray that God speaks to us through this word today. Lord God, we just pray that your word would accomplish what you send it forth to do. Lord, we thank you that we can look at it and apply it to our lives today. And so, Father, we do that right now. Lord God, I pray that you just open our hearts to receive whatever you would have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start out by talking about jobs. Um, maybe some of us have jobs that are fairly new, that you just started maybe in the last few weeks or months. And uh, maybe some of us have to think back a few years. <laughs> so there's all kinds of people that have different types of uh, um, employment situation here. But let's talk about getting a new job. So everybody think about when you got a new job and the boss, if they're good at what they do, they're going to help you understand what your job entails, right? You, you want to know what you're supposed to be doing and um, your responsibilities. And like if there's a time you're supposed to do certain things, what time are you supposed to be doing that? And, uh, and then you also want to know what everybody else is supposed to be doing because you want to know how your job fits in in the whole scheme of things, right? Okay, so if you want to keep that job, generally, what are some of the things you need to be doing? Showing up, that's really huge. <laughs> Anything? Showing up on time. <laughs> Anything else? Fulfill your responsibilities the best you can. Cooperate with your coworkers. All really important things about a job. Okay, so I've got one other question about listen to your boss. One other question for you. What happens if I'm at a job and I'm supposed to be doing this stuff here and I look over and I see somebody else doing something that I think I would really like to be doing that? What happens if I do that? You could lose your job. You get you end up talking to your boss. Your boss isn't gonna be happy. You get fired, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's really good. Yeah. So today we're looking at somebody and about their job. Okay? So let's turn to first Samuel thirteen verses one through fifteen. Samuel 1 Samuel 13, 1 through 15. Starting at verse 1, Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. Some translations say a stench in the nostrils. Okay, And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Bethaven. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. 
Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offering. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he was finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, Well, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah in Benjamin, and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. So we get some details that when we first start out in this chapter about Saul. It says he's 30 years old when he became king. And uh, think about when you were 30. Maybe that's how old you are now, I don't know. Um, but uh, So for those of us who are older than that, um, would you have been able to lead the nation of Israel when you were 30? Probably not, no. Um, I don't think I would. Um, and then it tells us that he, it's been 42 years that he is, I mean, not 42 years to now, but he reigns for 42 years. And so that means he lived to be 72 years old. Uh, but at first, when he's first reigning, when he's closer to that 30, he's a little inexperienced, uh, not just with being a king, but also in life. He hasn't experienced a lot yet. And so during this first time when he became king, he probably would consult Samuel and listen to him and do what Samuel recommended he would do based on what God was telling Samuel. And, um, you know, it would have been going well. But then some time obviously passes. And in verse 2, it tells us that Saul's preparing for a battle. He chose 3,000 men, and 2,000 are with him in this hill country um, near Michmash, near Bethel. And then 1,000 men, it tells us, go with his son Jonathan. So obviously a few years have gone by because Jonathan is now old enough to be leading part of the army, which he would have to be, what, like 20 at least, I would think? So a few years have gone by because that would uh, mean you know Saul was no longer 30. And so uh, Saul's been king for a while, and then he sends Jonathan out, and Jonathan attacks this outpost of the Philippines, of uh, the Philistines. And so while he's there, apparently the Philistines back the rest of the army, hear that their outpost has been attacked, and they're like, you know what? We need to answer that attack. And so they get everyone together, and it tells us that uh, when there's this attack going to happen, that Saul sends word to Israel and sounds the horn throughout Israel and tells people to come together, the army to come together. Because the Philistines, it tells us, had this huge army, 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers. So if one guy gets killed, another guy, they got back up, right? And then it also says that the army is so large, it's without number. 
So if you looked over there on the field, it's covered with the Philistine army. So when the men of Israel, who were with Saul, see this, uh, they get scared. I guess so. It's like, you know, they go against this little outpost with a few soldiers and think they, they got it done, and then all of a sudden here comes the whole nation after them. And so it tells us that they were so scared they hid. They hid in caves. They hid in thickets, which is kind of like a big, thick hedge. You know, they hid there. They, they hid in with some big rocks. They, they hid in pits and wells. They were scared to death. Basically, anywhere they could run to, that's where they went. And some of them even ran so far away, they crossed over the Jordan into the other side. It tells us that Saul stayed at Gilgal with some of the troops. And, uh, it, and they were obviously really scared of what would happen next because it tells us these guys who are left with him are shaking. They're shaking. They don't, they're so scared, they're shaking. So Samuel had told Saul, wait for me, and I'll be there in seven days. But Samuel wasn't on time, at least not on time the way Saul thought he should have been. He was maybe counting seven a different way than Samuel. I don't know. But Saul is like, oh, my goodness. My men are scattering. They're running away. I, I need to do something. So what should Saul have done then? What do you think? Should have sought God to see what to do. Prayed by praying. Right. He... Well, we'll move on. Instead, it tells us that he offers, he says, okay, bring the offerings to me. Bring the burnt offering, bring the fellowship, bring it to me. I'm going to take care of this. You know, Samuel has let us down. I'll take care of it for him. Yeah, that's right. He shouldn't have taken care of it. These two offerings are to symbolize total surrender to God. It tells us the offerings that were being offered were the burnt offering where the whole animal is burnt up on the altar to make atonement for sins. In Leviticus 1, 3 to 5, it says that the offerings of burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. You are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord. And then Aaron's sons... The priest will bring the blood and splash it against the size of the altar in the entrance to the tent of meeting. And it goes on and tells then, after that's done, that they burn up the whole sacrifice. These burnt offerings were a big deal. Uh, the total offering of the animal, it kind of symbolizes what Jesus did for us on the cross. He sacrificed his whole self on that cross for us. He totally surrendered himself to die for us for that word, that big churchy word is atonement, and what it means is that his blood, his sacrifice, paid his body on that cross, his death for us, paid for our sins. The fellowship offering, that second offering that Saul was going to take care of, is also called the peace offering, and that represents salvation. It represents the peace that we have with God because of what Jesus did for us. It symbolizes that relationship that we have with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we have, according to this verse, peace with God. 
That means that our sins are totally paid for and washed away by the blood of Jesus. And we can be in that relationship with God. There's no enmity or, or problems with us and God. There's only that peace that we have through Jesus Christ. So Saul offers that burnt offering. And just then, just when he's done, Samuel arrives. And Saul runs out to meet him. I, I find this incredible. Incredible. He runs out to meet him. And Saul, as he's arriving, he sees that the burnt offering's been offered. And, and he says, what have you done? So I ask you, what was wrong with Saul offering them? He's the king, right? Wasn't his job. Wasn't his position. Yeah. If he had taken time to pray, then Samuel could have shown up and offered the offering. Any other thoughts? As king, Saul thought he could just do anything. He could cover all the bases, even if it wasn't his job. Yeah. Yeah, Saul was, he had been told by Samuel, there was no confusion here. Saul, uh, Saul had been told by Samuel, wait until I come. After seven days, I'm going to come and offer the sacrifices. And his moving ahead and doing this by himself was actually disobedient. When Saul was anointed king, God gave Saul a charge to follow. And uh, it was intended to be a test, ongoing test of Saul's willingness to an ability to understand and obey that all-important authority and that structure that God had put in place where God continued to rule because it, the king remained obedient to the divine will of the Lord that was spoken to him through the priest, through Samuel. And by Saul pushing that away, he sinned against that agreement with God. He says, uh, Saul says to Samuel, uh, yeah, I felt compelled to do it. I, you know, like he had no choice. Just couldn't help myself. I had to do it. And uh, being compelled alone is not a good reason to do something. I mean, I can feel compelled to do something that is totally a wrong choice. And uh, Saul didn't pray about this either. He just thought, you know what, I'm going to do this. And he excused his behavior, and he even tried to put a spiritual spin on it, didn't he? He goes, well... No, he had to seek the Lord. So he's, he's trying to justify this disobedience. So what do you think is the real reason Saul disobeyed? He got scared too. Yeah. Yeah, he's probably shaken too. Fear. Yeah. Fear is such a bad reason to make a decision. When we are in fear, we don't want to run out and go do something out of, our, what, out of what God has for us. We want to seek him first. Saul gave in also to the pressure of the men being scared um, and, and leaving. You know, they're all running off. He's probably thinking, I'm going to be the only one left. Uh-oh. And so then God used Samuel to tell Saul the consequences of his bad choice. His family would not continue in the kingship of Israel. 
And he, we know he is, his son, Jonathan's probably the oldest son. He was probably supposed to be next in kingship. But Saul kind of blew it for him, Saul, but also for the rest of his family. And just like God had selected Saul to be king, God now sought out and chose a man after his own heart, it tells us, and appointed him to be ruler over his people, all because Saul did not keep the commands of the Lord. I don't know what you think, but right here, I'm thinking, would have been a good time for Saul to repent. To say, I'm so sorry, I blew it, I repent of the evil I've done. Lord, forgive me. But it doesn't tell us that he did that. And so then it just says, so Samuel left. I guess when you've said all God has for you to say, that's it. You leave. So he left. Saul counted his men, and it says 600 were still with him from 2,000, and it had gone down to 600. So we see the gravity of the situation. And so they continue to regroup and fight. It goes on in, in that chapter and talks about how they go seek um, to fight the battle without asking God for a word for them. So that's kind of a, a sad thing in the life of Saul. And a sad thing, too, for Samuel to see this happen. It was kind of like I he could have said to Israel, I warned you that this was not from God uh, to have a king, and I warned you what might happen. But all of this, as we look at it, for us, we say, okay, how, how does that affect me? How, how, how do I, what do I do with this? Well, the lesson for us is to stay focused on what God is showing us personally to do, uh, to focus on what's right for us to do. And we must have the long view in sight. We can't just be looking at what's right here. We have to see what is the long view. What is God showing me for my life, the long view of things? We need to have the right focus. So how do we have the right focus? Well, the first thing is we need to obey God's commands. Because we can um, ruin our lives by running off the rails, Right? and pursuing things that God has not said for us to do. Saul could have seen God use him and all his descendants to become kings in Israel. How cool if he could have seen his grandson be a king in Israel. He could have left a legacy personally, too, of being a king who followed God with all his heart. But instead, he lost the kingdom. So for us, we don't want to lose the blessing that God has for us. We want to obey his commands and do what he has shown us to do. And secondly, we want to keep our focus on the call that we have, on our call. Um, another way you could say this would be stay in your lane. Um, don't try to be somebody else. What God's gifted you to, to do and be is what we want to focus on. Uh, in the 5,000-meter final of the 2021 Olympic trials, there was a runner named Paul Chilimo, and he got attention and controversy for how he ran that, that race. He steadily drifted from lane one over, over through the course of the race over to lane four, and people behind him trying to get a, around him couldn't. He just kept moving over and blocking him and blocking him until at the very end, um, they ran out of room. And so he crossed the finish line in first place. He did not stay in his lane. In track and field, 
you're supposed to run a race in your lane until the very last patch, right? Um, if you move over into another person's lane, what can happen? You could risk hurting yourself or the other person or getting DQ'd, disqualified. So Paul the Apostle in the New Testament compares, compares our lives following Jesus Christ to running a race. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So some key thoughts in these verses is there's a race that God has marked out for you. In other words, there's a purpose that God has for you that you need to run that race. That race, not someone else's race, but that race God marked out for you. It's unique and it's personal to each of us. Uh, we each have a race God sets before us to run. And also to run right, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the one who pioneered and authored our, our race. He's the one who created that for us. He's the one who gifted us and uh, gave us ability and talent and the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do that race. Stay focused on your call. And the third thing we want to do is pray about our decisions. Uh, using our own wisdom and our own uh, decision-making ability, just ourselves, might seem okay at the time. And, and we could probably justify that. Like, of course, it's just a small decision. I, can, I don't have to ask God about that. But when we don't pray and ask God for guidance, we miss out on what we need for our future. We often make bad choices. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. I want that kind of wisdom in my life. I want that kind of wisdom that creates situations of peace, that gives good fruit, that when I make a decision and I consult God and I say, I need that wisdom, Lord, Give me that wisdom. James earlier in that chapter says, if you lack wisdom, ask. God will give it to you. And so I want that godly wisdom, even when I'm making decisions I might think are kind of smaller and don't need. Obviously, what cereal I'm going to eat in the morning, I don't have to maybe pray about that. But, but maybe, you know, I mean, what? just stay open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And relationships, huge. Jobs, huge. Finances, huge. We want to make sure that we're in the habit of seeking God on these things so that when we make these decisions, we ask God for his wisdom so we don't make the wrong choice. God will lead and guide us when we seek him in prayer. Sometimes when there are things we can say, well, I need, like Saul, he felt like he had to make that decision right then. He couldn't wait. And the the. The lesson there to us is don't sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the immediate. That long view that we see, the eternal view that we have for our lives. We want to make choices in the here and now with that eternal 
you and mine. Driven by Eternity is the name of a Bible study that uh, John Bevere wrote, and it means that my choices I make right now are driven by eternity, by what God has for me in eternity. I don't want to make a choice today that will hinder what is happening out in the future and in my eternal uh, state. I want to make sure that as I'm making choices, that I'm looking toward that time in heaven when I stand before the Lord Jesus, when I stand before God, and I have to answer about what I did here on earth. Because it says that as believers, we do get rewards, but it talks about, Paul talks about how sometimes our works, are the works are judged, and they either burn up or they come forth as gold and silver and precious stones. And so what we want to make sure is that the works that we do, the choices that we make, the things we make, that that leads to when we stand before the Lord Jesus, he says, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have done the things that I've asked you to do. You stayed in your lane. You followed me. You fixed your eyes on Jesus. You were driven by eternity. You looked toward the things that I had for you to do, and you followed me closely to be able to do those. The only way that you can make sure that you're doing that is by spending time each day reading the Bible, reading God's word to you, and praying and asking him for wisdom and guidance for that day. Would you stand with me as we close? Just ask you to bow your heads. And a, a couple questions here of commitment. If you want to have the right focus as you follow Jesus to do what you're called by him to do, just raise your hand. Thank you. And um, if you can keep your uh, heads bowed still, if you want to follow God's commands in your life, if you want to live a life that leaves a legacy for those who come after you, just raise your hand. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you that we want to have the right focus in our life. Lord, we want to obey your commands. We want to be focused on what you've called us to do. Lord God, we want to seek you daily as we make decisions. Lord God, that we would make those decisions as we read your word, as we understand what you have called us to, to follow, what you have called us to do. Lord, we thank you that each of us has a, a unique and personal call, but there are some things that apply to all of us, to follow you, to obey your word, to do the things that bring honor and glory to you, and we want to do that. But beyond that, Lord, we want to do the things that have been marked out for us. Father, that we would run that race well, that we would uh, live our lives in a way that honors and glorifies you, that we would see people around us who need to know Jesus Christ, and that they, as they look at us, Lord, they would see what it means to follow you, that we would be open to those opportunities, that we would uh, not try and run people off the track, Lord, but that we would help people to follow you too. We just thank you, Father, for all that you've done in our lives. We thank you for this week, for this opportunity we have going forward, Lord, that we would seek you above all else, that we would honor and glorify you above all else. As we're in our jobs, Lord, help us to uh, make wise decisions. As we're with our family, help us to make good choices. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be together 
to study your word, and Father, that you would apply it to our hearts in Jesus' name. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and that he may work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.